What's up, everyone? I hope you are doing fantastic today. It is Tuesday, March 24th, 2020, day number eight, nine, ten of the coronavirus shut in, at least in the Maryland, D.C. area where I am located. But we're still coming to you with episode 157 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. I'm here with Shawan Humes, and we're going to be talking about the sport of MMA for at least you know, the next 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour, even though nothing has happened in the last few weeks. Uh, no fights or anything like that. But Shawan, say hello. Let everybody know how you're doing. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Starting to shut down here around Texas. Texas was behind the curve, clearly. The other people are on day 10, day 12, day 15. We're about to be on day, day one in my area where they're officially shutting down. So, But everybody's okay, and I'm just staying busy. Got to keep keep moving. Crack the whip on these kids. Make them go run with me now. Man, they hate having me home because I'm like, y'all got to go do something. The entire country is kind of on the behind the curve, in my opinion. But we'll see what happens, man. It's going to be interesting. It's interesting watching the news and watching people make the mental acrobatics as or do the mental acrobatics to make their justifications for whatever side they're on to make them work. But we'll we'll figure it out. Um, there's a lot there really talk about there. So let's. Uh, Let's jump into our, some conversations about mixed martial arts. So we've got a few different things to talk about. And it's not a whole lot from an action standpoint, but just some status updates and some thoughts about some of the other headlines that are coming around from a news standpoint. And the first of which is, again, we're going back to UFC 249 now. This is a mega, mega event. And it's probably what's, it's what everyone's been focused on as of late, because we are now three, out, three weeks out from this Saturday for um, what would be the, this is the sixth time they've tried to book uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov versus, no, and Tony Ferguson. All, all the other times it's falling apart for whatever reasons it may be. UFC President Dana White is claiming that there is a venue in place and this fight is going to go on. He has not said where that venue is. I'm gonna actually go, I'm gonna take a stab at that in a second, but the event will be closed door. Uh, he has talked about that. We're going to talk about some of his quotes as well today. But he's. Uh, this is coming at a time where medical officials are basically asking for more stringent policies around lockdowns across the United States. I mean, major cities, major metro areas, such as the one I'm in, such as where Shawan is, he just said, you know, L.A., New York, I mean, all of California, Texas, uh, Florida, um, some friends of mine in North Carolina as well, are going through major shutdowns. Uh, where this area, for example... Today, D.C. just passed uh, a stay-at-home, uh, not law, but executive order where all non-essential businesses are going to be closed through April 24th. So that's a month from now before anything will go on. And still, with all that in mind, UFC President Dana White is still saying this event is going to go on. He's basically saying without question that this event will go on. And he's also even going on record today saying that after UFC 249 happens, that the UFC will be right back to their regular schedule. They're going to rebook all the all the three events that they've missed over these last three weeks. They're going to rebook all those fights and they're going to move on like nothing, like everything's all clear, no matter where the rest of the country is. And that's really interesting when you look at the it's the exact opposite of what medical officials are really saying about this. So Shawan, I want to dive into this. We got a couple of different um talking points. And my first question to you is do we think this event is still going to happen? 
Um, honestly, I, I think I think it is. I mean, it really shouldn't, but I, I think it is. I especially if they move it to where where we think it, they're moving it. it. It's a cash grab. It's a it's a money grab, and it's pretty much as we said last week. If the fight gets canceled this time, you can't ever make that fight again. You can't. It's been canceled too many times. Too many things have happened. This fight doesn't go off now. You can't ever sell that fight again as a headline. Is a headline fight. I mean, how are you going to convince anybody it's going to happen? You, you can't. So you have to find some way to make this fight. Because if you don't, you can't make it at a later point, and it just hurts promotion. It hurts the hurts the division, and it hurts the, the legitimacy of uh, Khabib's title reign because he really hasn't fought a lot of elite guys in his entire time at lightweight. So he needs this fight as much as anybody else so we're going to get on to that in a second i want to talk about whether or not this fight was, was going to happen before i was saying no 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 but then i asked a, a, a legit question the wwe has been hosting events at their performance center for the last two to three weeks i believe maybe a little bit more than that they've been having them behind closed doors and over the last week we've seen their production value kind of change because they're really like they're hamstrung with no audience there. So they've made some changes to it. This past Monday Night Raw was actually pretty interesting. I've been wondering because nobody's been talking about it, but I wonder if the UFC has reached out to the WWE to ask them about leveraging their venue to host UFC 249. Clearly there's enough space in there. There's enough space. They have the production capabilities to put on a, a show that can be broadcast around the world. So I'm interested. No one's really dived into that, and I would not be surprised if that's the case. However, something has changed in the last few days. Two WWE wrestlers have been quarantined. Two wrestlers that have been at the Performance Center performing there. They've both been um, Rey Mysterio and Dana Brooke. They've both been quarantined. There's no word on if anyone else has been quarantined. There's no word on if, if they were showing uh, symptoms or anything like that. But the fact of the matter is, two individuals have been quarantined. So even that location and the steps that the WWE is taking to, to keep that location safe, in air quotes, has been compromised. So I wonder if that's ever been brought up. I wonder if that's where the location is going to be. But even still, um, I am interested in seeing where this event will be held. Yeah, I mean, I, I I I hadn't put a lot of thought into that, but it, it would be a legitimate option to use it because they do need a they do need an area that's kind of contained and is used to having athletic competitions and set up for everything. But once again, like you said, it's it's starting to be something you can't even really ignore. It's due to the nature of pro wrestling and the nature of fighting in itself. With a, with a virus situation like this, it's just it's just a matter of time before before it gets spread, especially with the, the nature of the sport they're in. Uh, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I, outside of the initial money grab and trying to keep their uh, keep their place in the sports world and maybe move up in, a, in the place in the sports world because all the other sports have come to a stop, I just don't under, understand the sense of this because if someone ends up getting it and taking it home to a family member or something like that and they trace it back, which is possible because that's how they've caught a lot of people, um, I just don't know how they recover from this because it would just be looked at as egregious and it being put in, in poor taste, you know, just like you have the other fighters who were injured who can't get medical attention now because they're, they're putting themselves in self-quarantine. It's like there's just so many ways this could go wrong. And if he somehow navigates this without anybody getting something serious or really causing more of a problem, it'll be a miracle. But there's just so many things that if one thing goes wrong, it's just a, it's just a, uh, a chain of events that could essentially set the UFC back years and years. Because it's not just him who's, it's not just, 
people who are complaining. It's other promoters. It's fighters. They won't say anything because they don't want to get on Dana's bad side. But it's fighters. It's management aren't really fi- fine with this. It, it's fans. You know, it's, it's just a really bad look. And if, if it goes bad, this could be something that I wouldn't say it would just stink the UFC, but it would definitely set it back quite a few steps. And you, are, and you said something that's very important that I also think no one's really talking about is I wonder if if a fighter, let's say, okay, I'm going to use Randa Marcos as an example. Uh, when she returned from fighting UFC Brasilia, she was tweeting about having um, what she thought was symptoms and not being able to get tested. She hasn't said anything since. Um, she's been pretty mum since. Do you think that there's a possibility, and this is just speculation and in, in, in innuendo here, do you think that there's a possibility if, there, if a UFC fighter was to pop up with this, um, with COVID-19 uh, or the coronavirus, do you think that there's a possibility that they could be forced into being silent about it? I mean, there's a possibility, but the thing about that is we never know about it because nobody would ever admit to anything until they were out of the UFC by which time, once again, we wouldn't care. That's what happens. All these things happen. The fighters, the fighters never speak out because they're in the middle of their career, they're on a run, whatever happens. They're just trying to stay in the UFC. Then after they leave the UFC, then they're like, well, this happened, and I was held out of this, and I was forced to do this, but nobody cares at that point. So even if something came out, I could see someone just shutting up and playing their position, hoping that, once again, it would do them a favor in the future, which we both know it won't. And then later on, on their way out, well, the UFC made me do this. You know, it, 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 I really believe that could happen. And to be quite honest, as we said many times before, these fighters, even if, even if that's the case, it's ultimately going to fall back on the fighters because these aren't children. These aren't teenagers. These are, in some cases, parents, husbands, wives, who are, regardless of what the UFC is telling them, they are putting their careers and their lives and lives of others at risk by continuing to compete. That's just the fact of the matter. If LeBron and them were doing this, they'd be catching flack. And they'd be called out as adults and, and role models and people in society. And if this goes badly, some of it's going to hit the UFC, a lot of it. But some of it, once again, is going to fall back on these fighters who are choosing to do this. Job or not, you can refuse to do it. And they're choosing to engage in this. And if they're saying it's because the UFC makes me, the fact is you want to fight for the UFC. You chose to fight for the UFC. You're continuing to fight for the UFC. You're making a decision. So a lot of the blowback is going to land on them, too. So it, it's very... It just—it's a really bad situation, and I—and and answer your question, yes, I believe someone could be coerced or talked into keeping their mouth shut, especially if it's somebody who's not in the best standing or not on a win streak. You know, they don't want to risk getting cut and being put back in the open market. They might just stay silent and, and, and play their position and not say anything in hopes that it's going to open up doors for them later on down the line with the UFC, which it never does. Now, you mentioned something about people using their platform and, like, speaking up about the situation. You used the term role models. I don't know if you saw, but both Conor McGregor and Tyson Fury took to social media today to support the need for social distancing and isolation in in light of what's going on around the world. I mean, those are probably two of the biggest stars in combat sports right now, in in, in my opinion, probably one, one in 1A. Even them two at that high of a point are calling for people to begin to, you know, isolate and stay away from each other to help deal with with this matter. Obviously, neither one of those individuals are American and they don't reside in the United States. So they're pleading with their own countrymen. But you haven't seen as much pushback there 
to those fighters from fans as you see to media members who are talking about the situation that is going on here. Um, why are we still having fights? Why is this still a conversation? Why isn't the UFC backing down? Why do you think that there's a difference between the two? Because people, I mean, first of all, let, let's face it, in mixed martial arts, even in boxing, the athletes, the promoters, other writers, other media members, all they do is slander the media. They're all a bunch of babies. They're all a bunch of whiners. They're trying to hate, take people's money. They're trying to get people suspended. They complain about how I do my job. Dana White complains about Everybody complains about the writer. Hell, as a writer, I don't know if you've been complaining, but I know, I know I've written articles and I've had, I've had coaches call the contact the people who run the site I'm writing for. I've had them contact people who, fighters I know, and tell them I need to watch what I'm saying. So it's easy for the fans to attack the writers because everybody attacks the writers. The fighters stick fans on us. The promoter sits six fans on us. The management six fans on us. The only time they're ever interested in the writer's perspective is if it's going to benefit their writer, i.e. an interview, i.e. some good publicity, i.e. something that will allow them to speak their piece when they need you, they use you. So, of course, they're going to attack, of course they're going to attack the media. The media is made out to be the enemy 90% of the time. As Dana said, it's the wimpiest people in the world complaining about what all the alphas are doing. I mean, of course they're going to attack us. And if it was a lesser fighter, Dana might say something to them too, but he's not gonna he's not gonna talk crazy to Connor, not in public. And he's not, and he can't and he has nothing to say to Tyson Fury, not in public. It's just because of the stature those guys have, they get to say what they say and do what they do. If it was a lesser fighter, might not be listened to. And if it's a media member, nobody wants to listen to a media member because they've been made out to be public number public enemy number one. Even though everybody uses the media for their own their own benefit, fans included, fighters included, promoters included, uh, finance financial people included. Okay, last question I want to ask in reference to this before we move on to our second topic today. What needs to happen for the UFC to say enough is enough? Like, where is that bar? Uh, like, we originally thought it was for Donald Trump, who is obviously best friends with Dana White, to say, you know, enough is enough. We're not having any matches. We need to shut everything down. We thought that was the case, but we see how that situation is changing. What needs to happen? for the UFC to take the same stance that the NBA or NHL, Major League Baseball have taken where they say, you know what, we're not going to do anything for the next two to three months? I don't know. To be quite honest, I have, if you're asking me, I, I do not know. I would have thought that the things that happened as they have would have been enough, and I've been proven wrong. So if you ask me what it takes, I, I could not tell you. I have no earthly idea what what it takes for there to be a limit where he says enough of this we need to do something else and in my opinion i think that it would have to come down with a major star uh, contracting it a it would have to be someone like a valentina shevchenko a conor mcgregor a dc someone in a major position would have to contract it and, and it would be even in my opinion it would be even more scary if it was someone who hadn't just fought like because then you know that it, it, the question becomes where where did they get it from? How how many how how have they who have they been in contact with since? Let's say Gilbert Burns he just fought last. Like what happens if he was to come down with it and then it would be a, a massive runoff 
from there because everybody was in that cage uh, when UFC Brasilia went down. I think it has to be a situation like that before the UFC to say enough is enough. Because even to this day, they're talking about all these events that they're having. They're talking about they're not going to stop and they're not going to slow down. No one's pressed them to ask or he hasn't or Dana White hasn't put himself in a position to be asked about what type of testing you're doing um, for not only the fighters, but for the staff and everyone else that are that, that's around the organization. Well, it's not just that, but you have to wonder. The test, is, as, I've, as I've understood it, is very expensive. So the fact of the matter is most fighters can't afford it. And most fighters, though they might get cover for insurance while they're fighting, they don't get cover for insurance for random stuff. And since they're independent contractors, most of the fighters can't afford to get the test of their own. So if they start feeling bad, all they're going to do is quarantine and, and then 14, 20 days, whatever days later, come back. They don't have a way to prove that they've had it. And the UFC doesn't test for it. So, you know, there's really no way people can go around and, and, and really, you know, outside of something dramatic happening, who, who's got any proof that shows that they had it and it, it's directly related to the UFC? It'd be very hard to do that. Conor McGregor can afford yeah, that's it. Yeah, I was saying. can afford it. That's why I was saying, yeah. That's why I was saying like it would be interesting if it was someone like a Gilbert Burns or someone that like just fought recently, and if they came down with it and it was tracked back to that event in Brazil. Well, that, I think it would be a serious situation. I, I agree too, but I'm just like, how would he find out? He did, he can't afford to get the test. The only people I know who can afford to get the test are like politicians and and wealthy people and celebrities. I don't think Gilbert Burns falls in that category. Even right. if he Here's wasn't feeling thing. good. Here's the thing, though. The UFC painted themselves into a corner. They said if anybody is having on their roster or in their employment is having an issue getting a test, they can pick up the phone and call Dana and call the UFC, and they'll get them a they'll find a way to get them a, a, a test. So the UFC put that out there in writing, and he said it on damn near every show that he's been on um, in this run-up. So... If that's not the case, then that's a whole, that's another part of the conversation that becomes a, a big problem. Well, that's true, but if that's the case, how can McDesty and and Marcos clearly think something's wrong? Why haven't they got tested then? If the is going to cover it, does it make any sense? Yeah, why would they want to know all, for sure? Those are all good questions. Those are all good well, questions. Once again, that will fall back to what you said about maybe they keep it quiet because if you feel like you need to sell quarantine, wouldn't I want to know for sure? Like, wouldn't exactly. I want to know for sure even if I have it or if I'm negative? Because if I, if I find out I'm negative, you, you can't call me for nothing for the rest of the time. I, I'm negative. I'm in the clear. I somehow avoided this bullet. I'm done. But if um if I am, then now I've got to I've got to re I've, I've got to reexamine how I handle everything moving forward. I, I mean, at this rate, the only way somebody would find out if they had it in the UFC is if they got Deathly sick, deathly ill, or outright die. Because, like I said, most of those fighters can't afford high doctor bills. They can clearly barely afford to pay their bills because they're always begging for bonuses. I mean, all of that is very true, and I think it'll be an interesting. It'll be an interesting situation to see how the UFC's uh, what's the word PR, what the PR is like coming out of this. I don't think anyone is really going to cover it from a mainstream standpoint. But it is a talking Never point do. that I think needs some um, coverage, and I, it, I don't think it'll happen. But it'll take it'll it would take something like that for people to turn and be like, "Hey, what the hell is going on here?" Because you see nothing's really like WWE is having events 
three times a week. They just have Monday Night Raw. They're about to have NXT tomorrow night, and they're going to have a SmackDown on Sunday night. No one's no one's batting an eye at that. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if something happens. Yeah, it'll be. I mean, most likely nothing's going to happen. And be honest, if something happened, that would be crazy, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. So, best case scenario, nothing happens because the UFC learning a lesson isn't worth someone losing their life or being seriously ill or having somebody in their family get seriously ill as a result. So, if the UFC just gets escaped by and not having anything negative happen, it's fine by me because that means everybody came out a okay. For something to, for them to get caught or for pressure to be applied to them, something bad would have to happen, and I I wouldn't wish that on anybody, much less any fighter. So let's take this opportunity to move on to our second topic today. I wanted to just go over some news from this past week. We don't have a whole bunch of news, but it's just some interesting um, pieces I wanted to kind of break down. The first was the, um, I guess, pseudo match announcement. And I'm saying that in air quotes. For those that can't see me, maybe news in air quotes as well, that Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sanhagen are supposedly um, booked for a fight in May. Now, Sterling came back and he said that there's been a bunch of names thrown out there and um, multiple fighters were in the discussion, but nothing's been put to paper yet, especially with uh, the stuff going on around coronavirus. I know there was talks about him either being booked against Peter Yan as well. I, I definitely remember seeing some news about that, but nothing came out. So my first uh, question to you, Swan, in reference to this is, what are your thoughts, your initial thoughts about a potential bout between Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sanhagen? Is this a fight in which we can see a new number one contender coming out of this bout here, or is this a fight where the winner of Peter Yan has to face the winner of this potential fight? Well, first of all, I know this is not a fight that um, Sterling wanted. Sterling was trying to get the Hudos. Sterling was trying to get Jan. Sterling was trying to get somebody who has some heat and is. So let's take this opportunity to move on to our second topic today. I wanted to just go over some news from this past week. We don't have a whole bunch of news, but it's just some interesting um, pieces I wanted to kind of break down. The first was the. Um, I guess, pseudo match announcement, and I'm saying that in air quotes, for those that can't see me, maybe news in air quotes as well, that Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sanhagen are supposedly um, booked for a fight in May. Now, Sterling came back and he said that there's been a bunch of names thrown out there and um, multiple fighters were in the discussion, but nothing's been put to paper yet, especially with uh, the stuff going on around coronavirus. I know... There was talks about him either being booked against Peter Yan as well. I, I definitely remember seeing some news about that, but nothing came out. So my first uh, question to you, Swan, in reference to this is, what are your thoughts, your initial thoughts about a potential bout between Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sanhagen? Is this a fight in which we could see a new number one contender coming out of this bout here, or is this a fight where the winner of Peter Yan has to face the winner of this potential fight? Well, first of all, I know this is not a fight that um, Sterling wanted. Sterling was trying to get the Hudos. Sterling was trying to get Jan. Sterling was trying to get somebody who has some heat and is ahead of him. Sanhagen isn't the name he wanted. Sanhagen doesn't have a lot of heat behind him. He's, he's been fighting very, very well, but he's not a name. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't draw attention in a negative sort of way. He's just, just a, one of those high-risk, high, high risk, low-reward type fighters. 
So I know for a fact Sterling is not going to be happy about this fight other than having a fight on the table. But Sam Hagen, this is great. Uh, Sterling started to go on a little bit of a run. He's flashy. He draws attention. He's kind of got a burgeoning fan base, and he's had some very big wins over big names recently. So for Sam Hagen, this is the perfect opportunity he wants. He wants a name, guys, so we can go from being a bottom 10, 12 type fighter and go into the top five, top seven, top five, top three is what he wants. So this is perfect for him. Um, it's a good matchup. Just off the top of my head, I, I'd probably favor Sterling just based off his overall grappling ability to transition from wrestling to grappling and his ability to control position and, um, and find submissions and scrambles. And his striking seems to have gotten good enough where now he can actually be in boxing range and not be essentially a target. He can, he can get off offense. He, can, he could always work at long range, but now he can fight in that mid-range, which allows him to exit strike, excuse me, exit mid-range safely and go from mid-range into those clinches for those body lock takedowns or work, on, work from the clinch safely instead of getting stuck in between and getting beat up. So I feel that that addition to his game essentially makes him kind of protects him from what Van Hagen does. Van Hagen, in my opinion, won't be able to push the pace or put the power on that he likes to because Sterling is so good at transitioning strike attempts into takedown attempts. And even if he's not getting the takedown attempts, he uses it to get back control, he uses it to tie up body lock, push you up against the fence, and eventually drag you down or, look, or hunt for a submission. So I feel that just right now, off my initial idea of the fight, it's a good fight. It's a very well-matched fight. Um, not great for Sterling because it's not the fight he wanted, and there's always a chance he might overlook this guy because he's disappointed he didn't get Jan or Cejudo or someone of that nature, or Mirage, Mirage again. But um, it's a good fight, but I, I, favor, I favor Sterling right now. How do you think you see so you favor Sterling right now, but how would you put him um, overall? I've always kind of been interested in Aljamain Sterling. I know I'm I am unabashedly rooting and cheering for any black athletes, whether they're African American, African, um, Afro Latino, whatever it may be. I am unabashedly rooting for them. Aljamain Sterling is one who I've always seen who's like right on the cusp. Um, I even more so than Kevin Lee, I think he's someone that could become a champion, but I don't know within this bantamweight division. I think the top of this bantamweight division is tough. Between Peter Yan, Marlon Marausch, and, and Henry um, Sahudo, I think this top of this, those three are killers. And I just don't know if Aljamain Sterling has it to get over those three individuals. I can see him being someone like maybe like a Rashad Evans where you win the title and you lose it in your next defense or something like that. But what are your thoughts about that? Is Aljamain Sterling someone that you can see winning the title and winning the title and holding on to it? Well, I, I just don't know just because I've thought two things about Aljamain. As skilled as he is, one, in my opinion, he's not that physical a fighter. He's an athletic fighter, but he's not particularly physical. I feel like when you get in certain positions or you lock up with him or you get in strike exchanges with him, you can bully him a little bit. Physically, you can move him around. Physically, you, you can back him up. And then secondly, I've never thought that he was a... Uh, I never thought he was a particularly durable fighter. Like, he, that's why he always used to fight at long range. Because, not just because he lacked the skill at mid-range, but the fact of the matter is when he got in mid-range mid due to his defensive issues, when he, when he got into exchanges and guys would touch him, he would, he would vis visibly kind of flinch or he would visibly wince when he got hit. And he's... He, and guys who weren't even necessarily big punchers, but they would get to him with the strikes. And I don't know if it was a mental thing or just physically he can't take it, but he would take his foot off the gas. He would get real defensive. 
he would start trying to avoid exchanges. And once you try to essentially cut one aspect of your game off, you basically give him the guy free range to attack you in a certain in a certain aspect because you're not even engaging him in some place. You don't you don't have to match someone, but you have to be willing to engage him in all ranges. And for years, Aljamain has been intent on disengaging from the mid range or from boxing range because he physically can't. He doesn't seem to be able to take the shots as well. So in between his issues with being physically bullied and his issues with, in my opinion, durability, I don't see how he holds on to the title. There's too many guys who've got comparable athleticism to him who can who can land one or two big shots and back him off or hurt him and get to positions where they could physically impose their will on him. In the division, there's too many guys who can do that to him. He's got the skill to neutralize him, but, but when you physically can get bullied, it takes away some of the advantages the skills have it kind of limits your athleticism and when you can't take the punishment that means you have to fight essentially clean fights perfect fights for you to win and win impressively and no fighter fights perfect fights they're going to take a shot they're going to take a knee they're going to take a kick to the body they're going to take a couple punches and once he takes a certain level of punishment he seems to go to go defensive and stop trying to win and start trying to survive and again a Cejudo against a Marlon Marais against a Peter Yan I don't know if that works Hell, I think if Uriah Faber fought him, I, I'm pretty sure he would beat him. But I think there would be moments where Faber could get to him. And if Faber hits him clean, Faber can still punch. Faber hits him on one or two shots clean. I don't know that he doesn't turn the direction of the fight enough where he could take over the fight and impose his will on him. Not saying it's very likely, but Sterling still isn't a guy who I consider to be physically durable. And he's still not a guy who I consider to be physically overwhelming. And in a weight class with so many guys who are durable, are explosive and are, are, have, a, have, have a certain amount of physicality, I don't see how he navigates through them consistently if he got the title to hold it. If he got the title, I could see him winning the title. Like you said, I, I, don't, I don't see him holding it. And, and I'm more likely to see him not winning the title just because of the fact that I don't think he can take the punishment of the top three or four guys. And I don't think physically he can manhandle or you have enough horsepower to just bully them and put them in spots that they don't want to be consistently. Maybe early in the round he can. But later as the fight goes, he's, he's going to start getting backed up. He's going to start getting pushed off. He won't be able to get the takedowns. They'll wrench him off their legs. And if they get takedowns or get him in a position, they're going to be able to physically hold him there and punish him. So in my estimation, I don't see him holding the title. He's not physically durable enough, and he's not – He's not. he does, He just lacks the physicality I, I like to see in champion. So the thing that's always, like, caused me hesitation about Aljamain and – it's been this way since, was the back-to-back losses that he had to Brian Caraway and Aljamain Sterling, or excuse me, and Rafael Asensio back in um, 2016 and 2017. Because Rafael Asensio was, at that point, one of the dominant bantamweights, so I can't even really be mad about that. He lost a split split um, a split decision to, to uh, Asensio, so you can't fully be mad at that because that's the way Asensio always won at the time. But the Brian Caraway fight was kind of alarming to me because he was winning that fight clearly first round, halfway through the second, but it just looked like he just mentally took his foot off the gas and could not get it back on. And Caraway was, and it looked like this, it just, it looked like one of those situations where Caraway, where Caraway was just a hungrier fighter who just dug down and took the win away from Aljamain Al- Sterling. That stands out to me. The Marlon Morales KO, I feel like that happens. Like those have everyone gets one of those flash knockouts and they occur. I, I think that isn't as damning as those two losses that Sun Sal and Brian Caraway. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, essentially, Carrie walked walked him down. Uh, uh, Sterling was having his way, working from the range, working from the range you want, long range, moving around, getting takedowns, transitioning to different positions. And at some point, he just he essentially got outworked. He wouldn't engage in extended striking exchanges with Carraway when he did. Carraway was winning him. And when Carraway got position on him, Sterling had a real hard time getting Carraway off of him or creating the space necessary to find a submission. And the thing, the thing that, the thing that uh, Sterling often leans on is his athleticism and his length. And the fact that's the first thing. Second thing, he's just a good, he's such a good transitional grappler. He's such a good positional grappler. But against a guy like Caraway, Caraway's been around long enough. He's seen it all. He's done it all. You're not, there's not a gap, big enough gap in skill for you to just outclass someone like Caraway. So basically, all Caraway, Caraway had to do, the skills were awash. What the difference was was Aljamain Sterling's athleticism against Caraway's physicality and aggression. And when Caraway turned on the aggression and put on the pressure, Sterling couldn't create space. He couldn't maintain space. He couldn't change position. He, he couldn't dominate position. And basically, all that happened was Caraway refused to accept the positions that, that Aljamain put him in, and he had enough skill to survive them, navigate them, and put Sterling in positions that he didn't like. And he wasn't necessarily threatening Sterling with submissions or really beating him up on the ground, but Sterling, Sterling couldn't get back to his feet. He couldn't get Caraway off him, and he couldn't really consistently threaten him with submissions enough to either get into a better position or finish him. He just got walked down. He just got bullied. He got bullied by a, by a less athletic, less dynamic fighter. I mean, Caraway is an average athlete at best. And all he did was walk Aljamain down, let him do his work early, survive it, put the pressure on him, physically bully him. Fight was a fight was one from that point on. And again, and, and that's the biggest thing about Sterling. It, you've seen it before when he fought Cody Stamen. Cody Stamen was able to bully him and hold him in position in certain, in certain aspects. And I think he fought a uh, Henan Burrell won, and he won, won that fight. But early on, Henan Burrell was, once again, landing strikes, backing him off, and physically bullying him. Henan Burrell just got tired. Henan Burrell, at that point, was only good for a round and a half. Once he got tired, Sterling started having his way for him. But early on, Sterling couldn't get him down. Sterling couldn't stay off the cage. Sterling kept getting backed up. Sterling couldn't get away from his strikes. Henan Burrell was, was lighting him up. And if he could have put one more round like that together, he would have won the fight. He just physically shot. But there's multiple instances of Sterling getting touched hard and going defensive and not willing to engage and backing off and giving his opponent room or Sterling getting physically bullied and backed up just by a guy putting his hands on him or putting his head down and walking him down. To be honest, uh, I forgot the Brazilian, the Brazilian guy he fought, the last one he fought. Same thing happened there. Early on, Sterling's taking control. He's beating him up, landing hands on him. He takes a couple shots. All of a sudden, Sterling's defensive. The guy starts putting his hands on him, starts backing him up, starts defending take down the Sterling can't do anything with them. He just routinely has had issues with durability and he routinely had issues with physicality. And against the best of the best in the division, those issues are always going to exist. Even against Stan Hagen, those issues exist. Stan Hagen's perfectly capable of landing something big on him. I'm just thinking at this point, Sterling's got enough seasoning and awareness to navigate that and handle it well. And I don't think Stan Hagen has the physicality to control him. But it's not beyond the, the realm of believability for Stan Hagen to land a big shot turn the nature of the fight and just walk and just walk Sterling down. It's been done before. Even if fights he's won, it's been done. So I, I just don't have much faith in him as a, as a defending champion, multiple-time defending champion. I'm not even sure he gets to the championship belt. At one point, I thought it was a lock, but given the fact that he doesn't seem to know how to navigate these against the best guys, I don't, I don't know what he does moving forward. 
Those are all good thoughts there, sir. I wanted to talk about one other news topic in this segment here. And I'm not sure if you've been following what's been going on with American Top Team, but you've been involved with a lot of different MMA camps, a lot of, uh, excuse me, a lot of different major gyms. <clears throat> well, Dan Lambert has issued a gag order of sorts across the um, ATT location that he runs. And what that means is that unless if you're in a fight, unless if you're in a booked, scheduled fight, trash talk is not allowed. This comes at a time where Kobe Covington, Jorge Masvidal, Dustin Poirier, and Yohan Janjacek are basically openly going back and forth in the public. Kobe Covington, you know, Kobe Covington, he's been that guy who's been using trash talk to talk his way into major fights for the last couple of years. Um, he talked his way to an interim title. He talked and fought his way to an interim title. I don't want to denigrate his fighting abilities. And then he um, damn near won the welterweight title against Kamara Usman before he was stopped with a broken jaw. But along the way, he definitely burned some bridges with Dustin Poirier and Jorge Masvidal. And he recently went to, um, took the Instagram to squash the beef with Dustin Poirier. They took a picture together and it seems like that beef there is squashed, except it's not squashed with Jorge Masvidal. Clearly it's because Masvidal is in the welterweight division and sitting near the top. But what's interesting is he's even been taking shots at Yuani and Jacek, who's coming off of that brutal battle against Wally Zhang, denouncing her for the, the way she fought in that fight. And they've been going back and forth. Um, Yuana has some pretty harsh words for him uh, in an interview I think she did with Ariel Hawani this past week. So, Shuan, in your experience with, and, and also, excuse me, on top of that, Dean Thomas left. He just recently, I saw that news came out today that he left ATC. So, Shawan, in your experience, you've seen across major gyms, um, what do you think about how this type of drama is being handled, and do you think this is the right way to do with this? Uh, they already let it get out of hand. It, it shouldn't have gotten to this point at all. I know they're trying to encourage him to take shots and be who he is, but you don't ever direct that to the people in your camp. It just creates an environment where you have coaches taking sides, you have fighters taking sides, and, and the person who's the owner or who person who runs the camp, it's almost impossible for you not to take sides because you not saying anything instantly makes people think that you're co-signing whatever behavior he's having. I mean, what's the point of beefing with Derek, Dustin Poirier? What's the point of saying anything about Dustin? He's not in your weight class. He's considered one of the true good guys of the sport. What were you going to benefit from, from calling him out? Jorge Masvidal, I kind of agree. Because Jorge's hot at the time, Jorge's got a name, Jorge's getting some run. So I, I get that I get that to a degree. But once again, what's the purpose? You, you you say you don't want to fight him, you say he's beneath you, you're close to a title shot. What's the point of mentioning his name? It it, it doesn't make any sense. It's just causing unnecessary problems. And I, I can't believe to be honest, I can't believe the people who run the camp allowed it to get to this point. They had a strong camp with no issues, and it's hard enough just to get people already have beefs in camp much less when somebody goes and makes them public, talking about who beat who and who can't handle who and who's scared of who and who's classless and who's childish and who who quit. You're not ever supposed to say that about people in your own camp. You know, if your fighter's got a fight and you don't even think your fighter's going to win, you still say, my guy can pull the upset. You don't say this guy's out of class. Whoever says that? And he just went out there and teed off on every and, and, and big-name people in his camp. And it, it just doesn't make any sense. They let it get out of hand, and now they're trying to do you, um, I don't know, damage control, but you can't do the dam. You can't undo the damage done by what he's saying. And maybe he really believes it's an act, and it helps him get in the position he he's got into, which is fine as long as you're taking shots at people outside of your 
camp. I don't understand the point of taking shots of people who are inside your camp and people you, you rely on to train with and people who have coaches in there who they know longer than you, who you rely on to help train you. It's like you're, you're cutting your own throat. You're sabotaging your own home base. And it's hard enough to be a, a definitive, dominant fighter when everything's going perfectly, much less when you have unrest at your home base. I've seen situations like this unfold as well, too, at major gyms. And usually it ends with someone being put out. Why haven't we seen a situation where someone's been put out of of ATT yet? Uh, um, I'm assuming because everybody's been there so long. I'd like to say it's because they've been there so long and and they they, they want to empower the fighters and they don't want it to be too rash and they don't want anybody to uh, have to leave unnecessarily. The other less interested, less moral part of me or kind part of me says they're just doing it because it's money. If Kobe was just some slack jaw prelim fighter, I'm sure he wouldn't be there. Dustin Poirier was never going to get kicked out of ATT. He's been carrying the flag for them and representing them very well. Jorge Masvidal is on his hottest streak ever. He's a, he, he's somewhat of a big name. Even if he's not a Conor McGregor type name, he draws interest. He draws attention. He's, he's as big as he does ever been. They're finally starting to reap the rewards of the entire time they've had him and been developing him. I'd assume that's why it is. I mean, now, even now, he's saying, you know, I'm going to put my foot down and I'm going to send somebody packing. I'm going to have to see someone get sent packing before I believe that. You know, send somebody packing. You can say that all you want, and you have to hope those people will fall in line. But if they don't fall in line, they make an argument or they make a discussion. If, if I recall, on the article, he said, next person who says something is gone. And then Joanna Jindadrick has an article on a website saying stuff about Kobe. So is she gone? Is she no longer part of ATT? Is that what's going on here? If it is, that's cool. I mean, he stood by his word. He made a stand. He stood by it. But if she gets the slide to go, well, she made this before I made that statement. Or that was an old article. You didn't say old article. You said if anybody had anything else come out about a fighter at ATT, they were gone. So she should be gone, right? I mean, I think the only reason why she said anything is because she was basically attacked first. So, I bet, yeah, I mean, yeah, but he, but he, he said it's supposed to be done. He, he said it. So, if somebody says there's no fighting rule, somebody punches you in the face and you swing back, y'all are both gone because there's no fighting. The minute you re engage, that would turn from an assault into a fight. So, so if you're going to go by the letter of the law, you go by the letter of the law. That's why you don't make public statements like that. You t tell people individually, you tell the group, and then you let them handle it, and then you can start slicing people. Well, you don't have any, you can either slice people or not slice them because you haven't put that pressure on yourself. When you publicly say, hey, this has to be what it is, this is what's going to happen, or else, and then someone goes against it, you don't back, if, if you don't carry through that, uh, maybe not, maybe the people in your group understand, maybe they're okay with it, but it's going to be hard for the rest of us to take you seriously. You know, like I said, it just should never have gotten to this, this point. If he wants to take shots at people and be tacky and classless and put on this act, well and good. You don't do that to your own camp. Conor McGregor talks trash. But you don't see him bash and Artem Lobov. Nick Diaz and them talk trash about cheaters and drug cheats, right? Jay Shields failed the test. Did Nick ever go after him? Did Nate ever go after him? No. You know, lots of guys complain about drug cheats and people who get chances they don't deserve and people who get title shots they don't deserve and people who are poster boys and poster girls while they have fighters who that description applies to in their camp. But they never direct that towards their own camp, you know? So he broke the he broke through he he bit the he bit the hand that fed him you know what I mean yeah 
all to it. It's like having a girl. You know, all these girls are these are girls are tricks and hoes. You know, my wife used to be one of them. Why would you say that? It's unnecessary. <laughs> Shut up. You don't bring it home. All these other girls are hoes. It's your husband. All these other dudes are dogs. My man's perfect. We all know he's not, but you don't say he's a dog. You don't do that to him. You don't bring that heat into your house. And and it made for interesting storylines, but as we look at the ratings, Colby was never a big star or pay-per-view, butts and seats otherwise. So he did all this damage to his career because as soon as he cools down, Colby Covington is going to have problems and, and mixed martial arts. This act will not go on when you're losing. So as soon as he cools down, he is going to have problems. He goes on a losing streak, he might be out of the promotion. So he did all this damage to his career and his standing and people's view of him and and to my knowledge, he might have made good money, but he's not happy with the money. Otherwise, he would have been arguing about paydays with the UFC. And he's not happy with his standing, which means his ratings aren't high enough. So he did all this for what? To get a belt that was deemed worthless and to lose the title fight? He could have did that without all this trash talk, to be quite honest. Let me ask you a question. Would, would you kick somebody out? And if so, who? Uh... I mean, being as I don't have to pay anything and that I don't have to deal with the consequences of this, the issue would have been Colby. Colby would have had to either get stuck or Colby would have had to get kicked out. That's the issue. He's he's the problem. He's initiating this and he's routinely initiating this. That's the problem. He's saying these things. He's calling people out, people who are not in his weight division. He's calling out female fighters in his own camp. What sense does that make? I mean, just the Brazilian thing alone, I, I might have had to be like, look, dude, you can't say that. You can't say that, man. You know, I mean, maybe the Brazilian guy, can't, people in the fighter camps were okay, but let, let him have fought a black fighter and say, you're all a bunch of black animals. Problems, dude. Yeah, there have been some problems over that. True problems over that one. I, I can't so understand. We, it was go ahead, go ahead. To be honest, I said, I can't believe it was okay with the Brazilians. I can't believe it was, oh, well, you know, he's just, he's just trying to make it interesting. What? You know, it's just good old Kobe being Kobe. Yeah, what, what, what world do you live in where, where that's that's acceptable. Because if anybody else says it, oh, I'm going to kill him. Dude, your own fighter said that. Or somebody trash talks Dustin, Dustin's going to be like, well, I took that personal. Why? You didn't take it to her personally when Kobe said it to you? You didn't do nothing when Kobe said it to you? Kobe said it to you? You see him every day. Kobe said that about you. Why don't you do something? Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Very true there, sir. Very true. It is much. I'll tell you one thing. He didn't say, he didn't talk crazy about King Mo, though. Oh, he out, hell yeah. Like, like, there's people, there's people you know you can fuck with, and there's people you know you better not fuck with. King Mo definitely is one of the, one of the latter. I'm telling you, he's like, oh, I'll say whatever I want to say, but well, say, say something about everybody. And I know King Mo's cool, everybody gets along with him, but if we were going to put that to the test, just say something crazy about him. Just go ahead, say anything. Let's, let's see what happens. It, it wouldn't be all this, nah, it's cool. He's just being, next time I see him, nah, it, it'd just be a problem. So you talk, talk crazy to people who will... Uh, allow you to talk crazy. So he knows who he's going to. So let's go ahead and move on to topic number three, just some listener questions. I believe we have three questions today. Uh, let me check the list again. Yeah, we have three questions today. So let me ask this. This is a, from um, an individual who's just getting into MMA and they asked, what fights would you recommend fans go back and watch from a historical standpoint if they're just getting into MMA? What are some of your recommendations? I have a couple, but I wanted to see which ones you have first. From like a purely historical? Like, yeah, like you want someone to get excited about MMA and watch, who's watching it for the first time. What fights would you tell them to go watch? 
Uh, I think Forrest versus Bonner. Griffin versus Bonner is always a good fight. It wasn't really technical, but it's essentially the fight that might say the UFC and it, and just for as pure action and guys just basically fighting, not MMA fighting, but actually fighting. That fight is super important in the in the UFC's uh, development and, and build. Holly Holm over Ronda Rousey. That was another huge fight. That that was a fight that that you know took the UFC to another level just because nope the upset. I mean. Holly Holm turned into a miniature star for about three months. She was on every single show possible, interviewing on every single platform. And, uh, you know, Ronda disappeared, which just made, made the hunger for her, her attention or her involvement even uh, even more crazier. Uh, Carano versus Cyborg, once again, not the best fight, but one of the, prior to the Rousey versus Holm fight, uh, it's probably one of the, if not the biggest fight, women's, women's uh, fight, the... Um, well, McGregor versus Aldo would definitely not because once again just the nature of the fight and what, it, what the the, bit, the uh, impact that fight had in McGregor versus Diaz. Once again, these aren't the most highly skilled fights or the most evenly matched fights, but they're fights that really are one good fight and fights that kind of turn the direction of divisions or the uh, promotion as a whole. So my and those are some good options there. Those are, I wasn't expecting you to say some of those, even though hearing you say them kind of makes a bunch of sense. For me, the ones I thought of was um, definitely some some older fights. I say, so well, maybe I'm just showing my age, but I picked Carlos Newton versus um, Sakuraba. Just from a grappling standpoint, that fight still gets me excited to this day. Um, I picked out Frankie Edgar versus uh, Gray Maynard, the second fight, just because that oh, was a wild it, one. Yep. It, was, it was a great fight. It was wild. I remember watching that on the edge of my seat. This is back when I used to train with Frankie and those guys in Jersey. So it was it was equally important to me back then. Um, the Uriah Faber versus Jens Pover fight. You remember that when that one I was on WEC? It was like the first widely oh, yeah. Yeah. out. Yeah. I think that is a yep. very good one, too. Um, another one that stood out to me was Frank Shamrock versus Tito Ortiz, kind of like the crowning of Tito, even though he lost that fight. And um, I agree with you, too, on the Cyborg uh, Gina Carano one, too, because that, that that is a highly important fight. And just from a straight comical standpoint, Kimbo Slice versus Seth Petrozelli, because that was that burned down a whole organization. Yeah, that that is true. I, I guess, well, if I said fights that didn't happen, John. Josh Barnett versus Fedor. That essentially ended affliction. Yeah, it did. It, it did. And that one. That one was going to be pretty interesting. I think Josh Barnett would have lost that, but that's neither here um, nor there. Uh, the next question we have is: um, How big will the first UFC event be when sports are back? So you saw uh, Daniel Cormier's comment about um, the UFC is going to be putting on big fights, fight week after week, super fight after super fight when they return. So let me ask that question then. What do you think, how big do you think their first event will be when they are fully back? Uh, it, it's going to have to be big, especially while the sports are back because the UFC knows that as much as they're the Super Bowl of mixed martial arts, of, of you know, mixed martial arts, the gap between the UFC and the rest of the sports is as big as the gap between UFC and Bellator. You know, we're in the, the NBA playoffs be coming out, all the big moves in the NFL, the UFC is going to just put on the biggest and best shows they can to draw the most attention and, and piggyback off of some of the uh, the media coverage of the other two sports. And they're going to have to come with their best because these fight night cards and 
UFC Raleigh and UFC Albany aren't going to cut it. They're going to have to come with fire for the first month or two minimum. Because once again, as much as we like combat sports, wrestling, kickboxing, boxing, MMA, they are all niche sports. They're sports where a lot of people watch them, but very few people have competed or even trained in them. So that, that, that connection doesn't exist. How many people you know play football or even play college ball, just high school ball, middle school ball? They, they can relate to football and track and basketball and soccer and baseball. They've all done it on some level or another. Some did it at a very high level. But I, can, I, I don't even know a lot of college players, but I know more college, former college basketball players, football players, soccer players, baseball players, golfers, lacrosse players. And I know guys who train MMA, and it's even less guys that I know who fight MMA. And I know a lot of fighters. So they're going to have to come up with heat. Straight heat, straight sexy attractments, big names, big fights. They will have to come out. Otherwise, they will get pushed to the side. Nobody's paying to see Chris Weidman versus Anthony Smith when I got LeBron in playoff mode activated. I'm not doing it. Tom Brady, if his first starts with a buck, or am I going to watch, um, I don't know, uh, let's see, who can I think? Roxy Matafari versus rematching Valentina Shevchenko's sister. Nah, not going to cut it. No offense to Roxy, let's just be real. I mean, you know, you're not wrong. They have to come out, and they have to come out swinging. I think they will, but um, I just hope it's like a quality card from top to finish, and I hope top to bottom. And I hope it's an, it's enough to get people really excited. I think it will, though. Um, the last question we got for our listener questions today is: How are you spending your free time now that we're in quarantine status and no MMA is going on? Uh, um, I am. Writing a lot. I'm doing. I do. I'm doing highlight videos for kids who play basketball. My kids and a couple other ones. I'm making highlight videos for them so they can uh, either post them up so they can see if they can get you know put them on sites. See if they can get scholarships. Just have them for themselves. I'm running a lot more, even more now, and I'm making sure my kids do their homework assignments and make sure they're exercising on their downtime so they're not just sitting around eating and doing nothing. So a lot of parenting, a lot of exercising, not working right now. So just a lot of parenting, a lot of exercising, and a lot of. Uh, Talking about fights or basketball, pretty much it. True, true. I um I should be doing more writing, but I'm not for MMA ratings or like. Well, I'm doing as much writing as I possibly can right now. I'm, I got some planning and stuff to do. I have a list of things to do during this quarantine, and I'm slowly checking them off around the house. Uh, but reading, doing a lot of reading. Um, reading some pretty interesting books right now. Catching up on some stuff on TV catching up on some comic books I've been meaning to read. But yeah, expect some interesting developments around this podcast. We're definitely going, we're trying, we've been talking about doing interviews, we've been talking about doing them all year, but we're really going to get these things launched um, probably starting next month. I have some people, I have a list of people I need to contact. So we'll be doing that. And um, Mike's been on my butt about getting that stuff launched. So I will be getting that launched uh, probably in April. We'll be doing a couple of different yeah, things. I got a, got a couple of myself. Yeah. Figure out how we, who we can get and how to get them on. Like now is really the time. So we're going to do a couple of those uh, and I will be doing that for professional wrestling as well too. Something I'm also going to begin doing during this downtime is watching old fights and we'll probably be talking about some of those on this show. So if you want to keep an eye out for me, a text, if I tell you to watch this old fight, we'll probably be talking about it uh, on that next you know that, you know podcast. You know what's funny? You know what's funny? I just was on Twitter and I started to cut you off. I was watching that uh, the Nunez-JDR fight, Jeremy uh, yeah. fight. And everybody keeps telling me how Nunes has addressed her, her issues because she went five rounds. And I'm like, in that first round, she had her dead to right. And she was pounding her. 
but she realized she was getting tired and she wouldn't be able to reco recover in between rounds. So she goes to grappling and basically gave Durandamy a free ride into the next round. And that second round is when Durandamy essentially lit her up because she didn't have anything. She hadn't recovered. And if she would have really sold it out for the finish, she probably would have gotten it. But she realized she was getting tired. She's like, oh, oh, I need to start grappling. And it almost backfired on her. And I'm just like, I don't remember her. I don't remember seeing it the first time, but I'm like, she had her. Like, she's not defending. She's not moving. All you got to do is pour it on for another 15 seconds. She did not have it. She was like, nope, this ain't going to work. Let me just hold her down and see if I can find a submission. And she couldn't find it. And it was like, oh, oh crap. Second round. And it was like, she knew she was tired. She knew she had nothing. And Durandi was all over her for that entire second round. It was crazy. I don't know how I missed it the first time. But it's just funny that you mentioned that. Because you watched the whole fight. I'm like, dude, she really, she got, she was gassed. She was, she, she was struggling. Sorry. It's just something I noticed. True. True. Um, but I will be sending you some information about some fights to watch, and we'll probably be doing that. I'm going to be doing the same thing for professional wrestling, too, going back and looking at some old matches and just talking about those on the podcast, on uh, the Let's Talk Wrestling podcast. So, yeah, there's like going to be a lot going on. I like to do that for fun. I used to watch the match. I used to watch two matches I used to watch the most. Bret Hart versus Kurt Hennig, King of the Ring. I used to watch that over and over and over. And then um, I used to watch the Hearts versus the... The uh, Steiners, a tag team wrestling match. I just watched yeah. that match so many times. Both of those that are was beautiful, especially the Bret Hart. High um, level. Stuff. The Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect match was great. I actually just recently rewatched Bret Hart versus the One Two Three Kid from years oh. ago. Yeah, that's another great one as well too. It's it's almost amazing how much great wrestling we used to just get on free television week in week out. So thinking back to that, um, it's going to be fun, and I'm going to I sit down and watch a lot of that stuff. But I'm going to be doing the same thing. Great, with, um, great technical wrestling. Too. Not not yeah, the high flying, not just a throw through a chair, but actual on the mat reversals, pace, control, submission holds, technical, showing the skill of a pro wrestler wrestling. That we don't get that. That's very. I won't say it's rare. It's just not as common. You know, we you could name off from the eighties, early nineties. You can name off tons of matches like that. Getting to late two thousands. Mm. Yes, not not as many, not as many so much. Anymore. Real iffy. You're very right. Real iffy. That. First, real hot. First two and a half minutes, amazing. The rest of the match, you're like, oh my god, god. just hit him with the chair and have it be over with, please. Yeah, you're very right about that. Um, Shawan, why don't you let everybody know what you're working on, and we're gonna go ahead and close out. I'm working on my Daredevil piece, seeing as Black Widow has been pushed back, but I'm gonna work on my Daredevil piece. I'm actually gonna see, according to Mike, he's gonna see if he, the guy who Corey. Daredevil's fight scenes, he's going to see if he can actually get in touch with him to ha have him come on the show and kind of talk about it. He's a martial artist, mixed martial artist, and he basically set up the whole, all the fight scenes and all the fight choreography for that show, and that was some of the best in a, that genre of media or film or TV, I guess would be exact. So he's going to see if he can get him to come on the show and kind of talk about his background and, and talk about his thought process and going over the fight scenes and creating a realistic style for this uh this unrealistic character to use to make the fight more gritty connect more to the, the fans and kind of make it seem like something that could really happen instead of it being so uh fantastic i guess still there Sorry, I was on mute, but um, oh, okay. yeah, I'm doing 
uh, creating as much podcast content as possible. I have um, written content going up about pro wrestling and MMA on the other sites that I, I write with, but as always, come back to MMA ratings for the podcast content. And as usual, you can find us at MMA ratings net on um, Instagram and Twitter. You can go to MMARatings.net to rate the fights. Let us know how excited you are for them once they do return. Uh, you can find us on YouTube at MMA Ratings. And also you can find this podcast on multiple podcast networks such as Anchor, Spotify. Um, I'm not sure if it's on SoundCloud, but Google Podcasts and Apple iTunes. Check us out all there. If you would like, please be sure to like and subscribe. Share our content each and every week. I am at rgarcia underscore sports on Instagram and Twitter. Shawan is at Black Jordan Green, and we will be back next week to talk more about mixed martial arts and what's going on, or doing some retrospectives and looking back at past fights as well. So again, Shawan, thank you for being on the show with me, and we will be back next week. Yep, thank you, sir. Have a good evening. Good night, everyone.